Alrighty, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, if you will, turn to chapter 2, 1 Samuel 2, we're continuing our study in 1 Samuel, and we'll uh, do a little expository study of it, not really preaching through it, we're pretty much teaching through it, we're not doing it in an exhaustive study, that's exhausting to the hearers. Quick backstory is, you've got this a husband and wife, Elkanah and Hannah, and they are two key figures at the very beginning of it. Hannah has no child. She wants to bear a son for her husband, for the Lord, and she goes to the tabernacle, and Eli is the high priest at that time, and he mistakes her uh, sorrow of soul, her bitterness of soul, and her praying. He mistakes her for having been a daughter of Belial. In other words, a idol worshiper and having been drinking and she explains to him what's going on and he doesn't miss a beat he says well the lord grant thee your request and so they go home elkanah and hannah and company go home and uh, they get together and she conceives after all these years of not conceiving she bears a son when that son is born they still maintain all their habits of going to the to Jerusalem at the time of the feast and when it's the first couple times it was time for her to go she stayed back and told her husband when I go is when I'm going to fulfill my vow to give this man child that who she named Samuel to give him to the Lord and leave him at the tabernacle for Eli to to bring up and so she has done that and then we looked at last time at her prayer, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, Hannah prayed. And now we're down at verse 11, right before the paragraph mark in chapter 2. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. And so the picture is, is pretty amazing when you think about it, okay? And so here is this child, Samuel, left in the care of Eli. Now we know that Eli's boys are bad actors and they have, you know, they've corrupted, perverted their role as supposed to be inheritors, you might say, or in the, in the line of the priesthood. And so Hophni and Phinehas are, are bad actors. And we're going to look at this here uh, a little bit and we'll get even more of it as we get into the context. Now, the thing I want to say is, verse 12, where he said, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, they knew not the Lord. That's a horrible indictment. And in the day we live in, that many would say it's an indictment against Eli. Now the best I can tell from my Bible, you may disagree with this, that's okay. And You know, I've studied it probably as much as you have. But the best I can tell... The Lord wasn't disappointed that those boys became sons of Belial because that's a free will choice. The thing he didn't do, even though he tried correcting them, etc., is he didn't put them out of the ministry is what he should have done. If you want to talk about what Eli should have done that's clear, should have put them out of the ministry. Okay? <clears throat> so these boys are, they're bad. I mean, they are, they are idol worshipers. The Bible calls them sons of Belial, and that's a phrase you find all through here, and 
in your history books, you find different descriptions of what it was to be a Baal worshiper in Belial. And um, these people show up, these, this, this lineage, you might say. They show up uh, over in chapter 10. Um, Saul also went to Gibeah, verse 26, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. And so right on through uh, this, you find these people. And for the context of what we're looking at, the best way to understand it is these people are idol worshipers. Uh, they have a religion that's, that's against the God of Israel. It goes against the words God has passed down. It goes against the things, and yet it's a form of worship. And so they have a form of worship, and they deny the power thereof. And the, uh, the thing that's so amazing, okay, is that the people associated with this are, are bad people. For example, when David sent messengers to Nabal, over in chapter 25 of this book, uh, when he sent them over to Nabal, and Nabal just gave them a horrible answer and stuff, and they knew there was going to be trouble. So one of the men who, young men who worked for Nabal went to Abigail, Nabal's wife, in verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on him. But the men were very good unto us, and, were, and we were not hurt. Neither missed we anything, as long as we were conversing with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, both by day, night and day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. So these felt David and them had been protectors. They'd been guardians. Verse 17, Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. So these people, much of what they did was evidenced by the way they dealt with people, by the way they lived, by their pride. You know, there's a, a, a real test of things. When you see pride, you know it's not of the Holy Spirit and it's not of God. The very first sin recorded, the history of Lucifer, is pride, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. So always be aware of that. Now, it can, it can come in through Bible-believing, you know, independent Baptist preaching, Bible-believing preaching, good preaching. It can move over into pride. And if we're not careful, it appeals. We, we are in danger today. This is, you know, October of... 2022 we're in danger today uh, even in especially in politics of of certain characters of pride taken over but because they might be a lot more like christians want it to be more right as they call it right wing more conservative etc people seem to turn a blind eye to pride but pride is never recommended in the bible and uh you, you got to watch it <coughs> in chapter 30 of this book and we're it's going to take us a little while to get over there someday but in chapter 30 David and them go and they recover the things from the Amalekites and in verse 21 David if you look over if you feel like looking or mark it 
Verse 21, David came, of chapter 30, uh, to the 200 men which were so faint they could not follow David. They, they were willing, but their bodies had given out. Whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor, and they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them all of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. You get this spirit? You didn't go with us? Too bad. Then David, then said David, now watch, verse 23. Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us unto, into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? He's saying, go ahead, try it, boys. Go ahead. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's a whole lot more that want to do it right by the way I want to do it than you. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goes down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarries by the stuff, they shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. So it's significant. It's significant that these fellows are sons of Belial. We're back in chapter 2. And verse 12. And he, he, he clarifies it in verse 12. They knew not the Lord. <laughs> and so it says, And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself, so they did in Shiloh and all the Israelites that came thither. Now this is a good example of how God will describe something. If you have your Bible, flip over there to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 18, the fifth book of the book of Moses. So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God's going to tell them, instructions that are easy to follow as they understand okay the problem you have that always comes up is mankind these are sons of belial so are they going to follow rules no you know it says to it says to us the carnal the carnal mind is enmity against god okay and it is not subject to the law of god neither indeed can be now can it be subject to some laws and stuff yeah 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 but not the law of God. It, the law of God has that ring that it's from God. And so the carnal mind is always striving with it. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. The carnal mind is always against God. These sons of Belial are following the religion that has everything to do with self. Any kind of religion that has to do with self. Well, <clears throat> the Lord said, and the Lord gave them, these rules and he says in chapter 18 verse 1 of deuteronomy the the priests of levites all the tribe of levi shall have no part nor inheritance with israel so they didn't have any ownership of stuff the part they gave them was from them to pass on and the principle the principle has been practiced by some governments you know the principle of of a church not being taxed of a denomination even sometimes not being taxed. But they also had no ownership. 
There are some who get around it in ways God never intended and that people who wrote laws never intended. And so they don't actually own anything, but they have access to a lot of things. He said, They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Therefore shall they have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he has said unto them. Now the picture, the picture often is those who are in the work of God, the ministry in the day we live in. You know, there's a problem today. You're going to have less and less really called people, really surrendered people in the ministry because you have less and less of a culture where people are ready to and accepted and are encouraged to live by faith knowing that at the end of the way, they won't necessarily have an estate like the person in the pew. That doesn't mean you shouldn't own stuff and, 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 you know, and possess stuff. You should. And many fellows have become, you know, while still doing the ministry, have become, you know, well set off in life. But there's many that don't. And they, they may have, they will set stuff aside and you get to the end, but you don't get to the end like the world does because this world's not our home. So the Lord is their inheritance. Verse 3, And this shall be the priest's due from the people. So in the New Testament, Paul said, Render unto them to whom it is due. Okay? From, from the people, from them that offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep, and they shall give unto the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the maw. So what was supposed to be theirs is described. And then verse 4, The first, first fruit also of thy corn of thy wine, of thine oil, and the first of the fleece of thy sheep shalt thou give him. For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand a minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. So the picture is it was outlined. The picture we have here is what they would do is they would, they would put larger pieces in there and they would use that flesh hook, kind of like a treble hook, so to speak, throw it in there and pull it out. And it would be more than their due. And that's normal. That's just normal for human nature. Not normal in a good Bible-believing church. Not normal for a true man of God. But it is normal for human nature to try to take that advantage back here in Second, First Samuel chapter 2. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it in the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot uh, all that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh and all the Israelites that came thither. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest servant came and said to the man of the sacrifice, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as they does, thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay. But thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. So you catch what's happening here? <laughs> this, is a, this is a satanic ministry going on at the tabernacle, and it's just based on self. It's based on lust. It's based on flesh. And it's so bad, okay, that people had begun in verse 17, wherefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. It got where people were bitter about it, Okay. Uh, these boys are so bad. Look down at verse 22, which we will get to. But 
Now Eli was very old and heard that all that his sons did unto Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So that lust for the flesh as in food, as in meat, just kept rolling. And it rolled right into a sensual, sexual lust. Lust, by dictionary definition, is any inordinate affection. Any inordinate. So any affection, any desire, any you know craving, etc., that is inordinate, that is, it's not balanced, it's not ordinary in God's eyes, then that's called lust in your Bible. And the thing that is so bad about this is it's turning people away from the tabernacle and they're abhorring in verse 17 the offering and it's at the heart of it is covetousness which paul says is idolatry brother i i don't think you could ever be too cautious about covetousness i don't think you could ever be too worried burdened etc., about covetousness. It is at the heart of everything. When, when Lucifer said, I will ascend, I will be like, that's covetousness. Now we know that what God did was he said, look, th at the heart of this is pride. You know, middle letter is I in English, pride. But we cannot be complacent about covetousness. I mean, it should be something, as he said, that let it not be once named. So what's happening here is these fellas are, they're getting people where they're abhorring. What they were supposed to do was take that fat. Look at verse 16. If any man said to him, let, not, let them not fail to burn the fat presently. And they're saying, now, you need to do this. Burn the fat and let it have a savor. That, when you smell something cooking... It's that fat, that grease. In fact, that's what gives stuff extra savor. I've been certain places. I remember when, uh, I don't know if they do it as much now, but when I went, was in New Zealand, one of the first things I noticed was that meat tasted different, and that's because they trim the people I ate with and the butcher I went to. They trim almost all that fat off. They don't cook it with it. But that's the part that gives it that flavor. That's why when you're looking for that, the you know so-called ultimate steak it's got that marbling in it and it's got yeah well it leaves a savor that's what you you smell it and you're like oh man somebody's cooking well that savor was supposed to be for god not for mankind not for self the fat was for god to leave a savor that's why in the new testament paul says it was a sacrifice of a sweet smelling savor in other words, it was sweet in the heart and mind of God because of what it represented, a sacrifice. Now, you don't get to heaven by sacrifice. Uh, obedience is better than sacrifice, okay? That's in this book of the Bible also, 1 Samuel. We'll get there. But when we, out of love, voluntarily offer something to God and sacrifice it, we're saying, Lord, I want you to have this. I'm not keeping it for myself. It's a sweet savor. It brings a blessing to God. We're to beware of covetousness, your Bible tells you. 
uh, force here, if you look at it, I will take it by force. That's, that's your same English word that also ends up getting applied to things like rape. When a man forces a woman. So what they're doing is they're, they're raping the offerings of God. They are, they are taking by force. These, it's a violent thing. And it says, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now, listen, dishonesty in the affairs at the house of God, it makes people despise the house of God. Now, now hang on. Criticism like Judas did, just recently, I preached on uh, uh, to some folks about you know Mark chapter fourteen verse eight. She hath done what she could. In that passage, she is troubled because she hears people saying, "Well, you could have sold it and given the money to the poor." And your parallel passage tells you that it was Judas that was whispering in the ears of the disciples to say, "Man, why didn't they do that?" And it says, Judas was carrying the bag and was a thief. He wanted it to be sold, put into the treasury so he could steal some of it. Okay? But, truthfully, truly supporting, sincerely supporting your pastor, your leaders, is not dishonesty. It, it says, and I'm not saying this is the exact application, but I have heard people say it and presented it. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, he said, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. The word honor there in your English, you go running references in your King James Bible. Those That word is not just like a salute, though it includes it. It's Honor is usually what they, what they get from you, what, what, uh, what you offer them, you might say how you support them. One fellow said, he said you should take the average income of the men members of your church and uh, double it. And that would be what, the, now that would be great for pastors, I guess. Amen. I don't know that that's what it teaches, but I do know, I do know that a church that begrudges taking care of their shepherd, God doesn't bless them very much. But then I do know that dishonesty at the house of God turns people away. And so it's not the house of God that we should despise, but it's okay to despise the guilty parties. You know, a lot of people, okay, they want good, strong, hard preaching. And a lot of people choose the church by their pastor. But I know this, that people identify and see certain spirits and sometimes an outsider sees it more plainly than someone who got, who's gotten in and got closer and closer and closer. So remember that. Honesty. Integrity. The manner in which we receive offerings, for example. You know, I know, I know it's normal to say we're going to take up an offering. <clears throat> and I'm sure I've said it before, but I've, I've pointed this out to you. I tell people we are going to receive an offering. We're not going to take it. Uh, the ushers don't have pistols or knives. They're not going to glare at you if you don't put something in the plate. Uh, I heard of him taking an offering over there in Northern Ireland at a famous fellow. He's going to be with Lord, famous fellow's church. And he, he said, we're going to take up a silent offering. And the offering uh, cans were like cans, uh, but they were metal. 
And he said, we're going to take up a silent offering. We don't want to hear any noise. In other words, no coins, uh, only notes, only bills. <laughs> I thought that was funny. So we do have to deal with suspicions as preachers and ministers, okay? And every generation needs young men who are different by virtue of their loves, of their lives, of their labors, of their loyalties, etc. They do. Every generation. That's why Paul uh, found Timothy. He found Titus. That's why he brought them up in the work of God. That's why he trained them. And, and that's what's going on here. Now, did Samuel try? It sure looks like it. Now, let me say this. If you're not careful, you really don't. And I'm not saying I'm some great Bible student, but you don't really read your Bible and kind of digest it. You just flip through there and make assumptions. And if you're not careful, you make really bad ones. I have heard people rail on Eli about how those boys turned out. That wasn't the problem. It was just he should have put them out. He tried. And when I see how Samuel came out, the integrity he had to the end, well, he was brought up by Eli. You can't miss that, okay? So beware. If, if in your case, uh, I heard a fellow recently, you know, God had given him uh, five children, four sons and a daughter, and all four sons are in the ministry. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But be careful. Because there may be some fella who was just as faithful and his children didn't end up in the ministry. I can I think of a fellow I know. Well, he really was good at it. Right attitude. Uh, didn't try to force it on him or you know, burn them out or any of that kind of rubbish. And yet, it just uh, wasn't, two of them, it wasn't just that they went, didn't go in the ministry, it was that they didn't follow God. But he sure, he sure did his part and so did their mother. So I'm saying to you, beware of that and get the big picture first. That God entrusts Eli with Samuel and, Samuel, and Eli's got this horrible conflict going on. And Eli is going to train Samuel. And Samuel's going to be the, the one that God uses to break that cycle, to break that chain that these boys, Hophni and Phinehas, had been propagating. Where, verse 17, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Verse 18, a paragraph mark in your King James Bible, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. And that girding he's got is, is something that's it's modest, but it's very plain. Uh, you know, you'll see in the Far East, uh, you'll see like it it's almost looks like a, a robe sort of or with a sash holding it together and stuff. Very plain. We notice, you notice in things like, say, Catholicism or the Far East and stuff, their priests dress in that way. All it is is showing us that Samuel is being taught, okay? Samuel is being taught how to honor God, how to reverence God, how to dress at the house of God. Now, let me say this. Just hang on here. If you happen to live in a advanced country, a Western country, like say the United States and, and many of the others, then it's one thing to notice, for example, that uh, preachers might wear you know, a coat 
dress shirt and a tie. That doesn't mean in some other part of the world, if they don't wear that, they're not honoring God. However, in Western society, what we see is people in all the rest of society, I mean, sports uh, announcers and sports analysts and businessmen and all kinds of occupations, they dress up. Used to be called your Sunday best. I did not grow up going to church. I did not grow up knowing about Sunday best, but I know this, every decent occasion we had, we actually dressed up from what we did every day at the, at the barn, at the horses, even at school. So my point is, get the big picture that in whatever culture you're in, we're supposed to show the example of both humble dress, but also respectful and reverent and appropriate to what we do. Okay, now if you're in a culture where the average person is very casual, very, very, then the average man in the church may not dress just like the pastor does when he addresses the word of God, because that could make visitors uncomfortable. Now you don't go down to their level to make them comfortable, but you use your head about it. What will give the right picture? See, it's not just impression, but that's good. Look, an impression is like, uh, I've got a thing my mother had made for me a long time ago. Uh, good grief. Uh, 40 years ago, approximately. And what it is, it, it looks like uh, the notary, notary publics do. And I take a book in the library and I mark it, my library, not yours or somebody else's. And you put it over the page and you squeeze it. And it takes and leaves an imprint by, by impressing upon the paper. And it says, you know, from the library of. There are books, I'm sure, scattered all over the world that have that in them, but they're not in my library, my little old bookcase I have at this point in life. But one, guy, one pastor said, many of my friends are good bookkeepers. And he wasn't talking about accountants, amen. And I said that to say that when we talk about impressions, that's what that is. You're not given an impression that's different than who you are. You're leaving your mark on somebody by how you really are. Your attitude, your grace, your charity. These boys, Hophni and Phineas, are leaving an impression upon people. Okay? And we should be cognizant of that. We should be aware of that. We should be thinking of that. And so when someone comes in a church... Uh, you might, you probably wouldn't have every single fella in there looking exactly alike and, you know, dressed to the nines and all that. And by the way, it's one thing to, to dress, you know, professionally as a preacher. It's another thing to, uh, you know, have a $4,000 suit. Someone says, well, they last so much longer. Come on. That's that impression thing, friend. If they last so much longer, then get you one, uh, get you a $200 one and, and go ahead and, and buy uh, 20 of them over your lifetime. You know what I mean? Why? The principle. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Well, our time is up in this passage uh, for this session. Uh, let's just make a mark, and we'll pick it up at verse 18 again next time. Father, we pray you'd use these thoughts and these things to help someone. Pray you'd use it to influence their life, influence their church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.